number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where interesting, intriguing, and exciting people engage in unscripted exchanges of ideas, stories, and perspectives. It's not an interview. It's a powerful conversation. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show. I'm so glad that you've tuned in, especially on this particular episode, because I have an individual who I just like a lot as a person, but I also like him a lot as an individual who's been very successful in his career and someone who I think is very funny. Uh, he is Ali Hassan, and he is a stand-up comedian. He's also a chef. We'll get into that a little bit later. But he has kicked major ass in his career. He's performed on stages across Canada, in the U.S., twice in the Middle East. Uh, he's graced the big screen in three award-winning films. He's also had recurring roles on television he has been the host of Laugh Out Loud on CBC Radio and Sirius XM, which is a show that's got a base of over one million listeners, all right? That's one million people checking out his show, which is, if you haven't heard it, an amazing show. He also guest hosts uh, Q from time to time. I've heard him on uh, CBC Radio in many different avenues. We, once in a while, he even takes over for Jill Deacon uh, as I'm driving down the road. Um, <laughs> he's been invited twice to perform for, just, for the Just for Last Festival in Montreal and Toronto's JFL 42. And he has performed as part of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. I could go on and on and on about this guy, but Ali Hassan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, man. It's uh, interesting hearing your bio like that right out. It's just kind of like, who's that guy? That guy, that guy sounds busy. That guy <laughs> yeah. sounds like he's got a lot going on. <laughs> it's funny. When I, oh, it's when I start my, uh, my corporate presentations, I always make a joke. Uh, after you know they read my bio and everyone starts clapping for me and I say to the audience like oh you know it doesn't matter where I am in the world I always find myself standing off the side watching that individual speak about me and I'm always thinking the same thing I'm always yeah. thinking man that guy is awesome yeah it'd be <laughs> cool to be that guy <laughs> I would love to be I that, am guy. that guy would you yeah. believe it so um, so thanks for being on the show it's uh, it's been a while since I've seen you uh, at the top ten event and in between you've been all over the place and, and uh, on stage and on TV and, and, um, and you know, generally I would say that uh, you are obviously a success, not just as a person, but you're a success in a career that I would say has got to be one of the most challenging careers on the planet to be successful in. And I would go as far as saying um, one of the scariest uh, uh, industries to be in. Now, people always say to me, oh, you know, as a professional speaker, you know, uh, you're good at what you do and you make it look so easy. And I always say, until I can do comedy, I haven't mm. made it. I, I say that all the time to people. So, so what, how, what, what, what does it look like to be a success in comedy? If, you know, when well, you think about your I'm career? Gonna, I'm going to relieve you of that, that pressure that you're putting on yourself uh, a little bit, Stuart. I, I, I always tell people like, there's no reason to do stand-up comedy unless you absolutely have to do stand-up comedy. There are other ways that you can go and make yourself vulnerable and humiliate yourself that don't involve comedy. You could do it just in front of a few friends in a, in a, in a private residence someday. But comedy is one of these things. It's like, don't do this if you don't have to. You know, people come often ask, uh, how do I do it? How do you, the, the, the question that I get most is how do you do it? I don't understand how you do it. And it's so great that you do this. But for me, it's like, it's very hard to take any compliments there because it's like, well, what else was I going to do? This is what I wanted 
to do this is like I was I was drawn to this like I've never been drawn to anything. And it, at first it was like a means to an end. And then once I started doing it, I was like, I have to do this. This is very, very important that I do it. And I it was it, it became something that wasn't work. You're not right. like, you know, even these horrible open mics where you're fighting for attention, you know, where <laughs> these these open mics where the host goes, um, Hey everybody, uh, just to let you know, the open mic's gonna start in five minutes and you see an entire bar go, oh God, open mic. <laughs> this is not what we want. I didn't wanna have a drink with a friend. I wanted to reminisce. Now I gotta have some guy talking about his penis in the background <laughs> for five minutes. This is not the night I was planning for. So right. you know, competing with that and like, I mean, that is where you cut your teeth. That's where you build. That's right. where you, you, you establish a foundation you know, every every home is built on a foundation. That's the foundation. And I I watch people do the shortcut and go straight to big theater shows. Mm. You can do it. You've got a lot of people laughing at your sort of you know semi crafted jokes. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you re, you know as soon as you get into some trouble on stage, either with a heckler or you know sound issues, uh, you can see like it kind of all falls apart. Or 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 when somebody finally. Hey, we love what you did in that theater. Come do this bar gig with us. Come do this little tour we do around these bars. All of a sudden, it's like yeah. you're just out of your element, and and they're confused. They're like, man, I just I made 500 people laugh yesterday. How come I can't win over these 25 in this bar? You know? <laughs> well, it's because those 500 people were your friends and your coworkers, and Correct. and yeah. most of the time, that's absolutely right. Exactly. Well, you know, and that really raises an, an important point, I think, about the idea that. To get anywhere that is of, of value or of significance, um, people always do want to take the shortcut. I, I find this where you'll be, you'll see the the the, the pretty woman who happens to be, um, you know, she was the president of her student council, and and she's got the looks, and she goes out and she auditions for three commercials, and she doesn't get them, and she's like, I guess this acting career is never going to work out for me, right. and, and 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 you think you have no idea. What it takes. I mean, that's the one great thing about comedy is that um, I, I wish it was seen more often as the art form that it is. Uh, in, and I'm saying in line with Oof, you and I both, brother. Right, like the Mona Lisa yeah. or some legendary poetry or whatever it might be. It's to me, it's right up there because what most people don't realize is that what's making them laugh in many cases has nothing to do with the content coming out of the person's mouth and has everything to do with the way that they just raised their left eyebrow at the right word at the right moment <laughs> <laughs> and that you got subconsciously and 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 like what does it take like it, tell me tell me tell me about that like what does it take and for you to hone that that art form yeah it just it takes you know it, it it's you started this question off with no shortcuts it takes no shortcuts it takes a grind and i you know, I have these discussions with with comedians who've been at it for a long time, and then they see these, uh, you know, Vine Vine is now defunct, but Vine comedians or YouTube comedians, and mm-hmm. they there, there's a, it doesn't sit well. Like, how is that a comedian? And I I don't disparage those guys at all because the end at the end of the day, like, look, I, I've told people that it, it's consistency above all else because inconsistency comes practice and in practice comes learning and in learning comes the craft right you you, you build your thing i tried to write a blog you know I, I my father was an english teacher he would always say you got to write more every time you write it's great you don't write enough 
he's passed on, but I'm like, man, he was right. I, the least I can do is write, uh, I don't know, I want to write like a half a page, a little blog post every Monday. Okay. I've tried to do this twice. The, the longest I've lasted is six weeks. Okay. But in my head, I'm like, how can I not do that? How can I not have a weekly blog post just to work on my writing? Who knows if anyone's reading it? Who knows? That, that's not the point. It's just to work on my own writing. And for some reason, I just can't stick with it. So What gets in the way? What do you think it is? I don't know. I don't know. It's just sometimes it's, it, what happens is like it's, it's like working out. You know, It's like, ah, oh, I missed the day. I missed Monday. I'll put it out Tuesday. And then it's like, okay, I'll, I'll do it tonight. And then things just happen. And all of a sudden it's Friday and you're like, well, I'll just wait till the following Monday. And then it's the following Monday and you're like, well, now I've missed a week. I don't know. Does right. this make sense? You know, it's just like working out. When you don't work out, you let it get away from you. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I have this admiration for like these YouTube comedians because, hey, man, some of them might not be the funniest dudes around. Mm-hmm. But they're putting out content every single week. And, and that is what differentiates them from the people who have who have failed. Yeah. That's what that's what differentiates them from those 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 bodies, those fallen soldiers who uh, who tried with the best of intention. It's that consistency. Every week you put something out, every week you keep on coming up with something and and before you know it, you got a channel, you got subscribers, you got people who are like waiting for the next thing. When are you going to put out your new thing? Yeah. It's 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 not that's the one thing that uh, people come up to me all the time and they'll say to me Based on what you've done, they actually think that I'm a magician. That somehow I had some sort of like, what? What did you do? Like, what did you eat? And I'm like, no, it was. It's this thing called work and yeah. constant, and as you say, consistent. I, I remember um, reading an article with Will about Will Smith, and he said, "Look, you know, I, the the person interviewing him had said, you know, you're so talented, and you're so good at what you do, and you're so funny, and you're so amazing, and all these accolades." And he said, "Look, I really do appreciate that. That's very kind of you." He says, "But I want you to know that." I'm not here because I'm talented. He says, I get that I'm talented. He says, but I'm no more talented than anybody else. He says, I'm here because while you were sleeping, I was working. Right. While you were eating, I was working. And he went on and on. He's like, while you were watching TV, I was working. And that really stuck with me about how you um, can, you really can create anything you want in your life if you willing, are willing to be uh, consistent with it and do it every single day. I remember uh, Jerry Seinfeld talking about that in that documentary, uh, I think The Comedian, years ago. Yeah, when he great was, doc. Isn't that a great doc? He, yep. he talks about um, when he was sitting in, a, I think, a cafe or something early in the morning in New York City. Seven Watching of, the construction workers? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and realizing... If those guys can get up every day and go to this work, and I remember him describing it was a cold, rainy day, then I know that at least I can do is get up and, and go to work every single day to do, you know to do what I do. And and uh, yeah, and I think he's like, if these guys can do what they do, that level of work for eight to ten hours, however long their shifts are, how can I not go out and at least do an hour of writing every single day? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was it was that kind of thing. Like, and and I think that that's the funny thing we. As comedians, people are like, wait a minute, so you only work an hour a day? Mm-hmm. It's it's really not that much. But to make it look effortless takes hours and hours and hours and hours on stage to make it look like, man, well, this guy just walked in, made some jokes, and left with 2500 bucks in his pot. What the hell is this? Yeah. But, but <laughs> what we had to do, 
You know, I described those disgusting bars uh, where, you know, people are there for the chicken wing specials and now you show up. I mean, you had to you, 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 to lower yourself to, to, to lows you didn't know you had, you know. So what were some of the lowest moments that you can remember? Like when you were sitting there and you're thinking, oh, my God, I cannot believe I'm doing this. Yeah, there's a bar in Toronto that always comes to mind that had like the basement had this smell of urine and sewage <laughs> Uh, and, 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 uh, and, and the door, there was no doors on the bathroom. Like, uh, if there was ever a bathroom that needed a door, yeah, right. it was that one <laughs> and it didn't have doors. So you just walk in, so you could hear people, uh, right behind you, you know, going to the washroom, take a leak. Yeah. Go no to the way. bathroom. Nobody would, nobody would ever take a dump in those bathrooms. That was like, right. unless you were in, 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 you know, unless you had sort of, uh, you were stricken with uh, malaria or something and you, <laughs> but otherwise just, you could hear people pissing behind you no way. and they, you're like, did the stage have to be here? And you know, every right. time I get on that stage, I'm like, I, you know, nobody put a gun to my head to be here. I'm right. here. I'm here. I, I like, this is my choice, but God damn it. The smell in this place, it was terrible. And Can then somebody you know, light an incense candle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then people would eat down there also, you know, they would bring food from upstairs from the restaurant and eat. And I'd be, this is just so horrible oh, all the time. No. And then, and it's a, it's an interesting thing, you know, you hate it, but you do it. And then all of a sudden you start doing well in that room. That's, that is what happened. Then I started just kind of figuring out the room. Mm. Uh, there was this big, massive speaker there. I would lean on the speaker. And I have a couple of go-to uh, throwaways that were just for that room. Right. Uh, because of the ceilings and the checkerboard floors. I don't remember. I had some diner, you know, world's worst diner uh, <laughs> jokes. And I started, like, mastering that room. And then eventually that bar got bought out. Uh, and and they stopped doing comedy there, and I was like, oh man, I love that room. And then I just caught myself. I was like, oh, how did I go from wow. completely disgusted all the time to like, ah, oh, that's a loss. That's a loss for the local Toronto open mic <laughs> comedy community. I'm gonna miss those days of listening to that yeah. guy piss behind me. Exactly, it's some kind of a a Stockholm syndrome at work, you know. First <laughs> they, they they take you hostage, and then afterwards you're like, not bad. You not know bad, what? Though. The food's not so bad here. <laughs> you know, uh, my friend Sean, I was speaking to recently, who's an actor, and I, I love this. I said he was, he's in a, a theater show in Toronto. And I said, how how's the show going? He says, well, I did a show the other night, and he says I walked out on stage. There were four people in the audience, mm. uh, two couples. He says the one couple was a very old couple sitting near the front, uh, second row. And they slept during the show. Uh, and he said, and at the back was a young couple, and they just made out during the show. <laughs> he said that was the show. <laughs> he did 90 minutes of that. <laughs> I mean, but you see the point. Like, you, you got to want to do it. You got to want to do it. If you come and see that uh, from an outsider's perspective, it's like, why would anybody put themselves through this? But you have to have reasons that you want to do you have to have you know i i got told this uh stuart many years ago i was um this is one of the best pieces of, of advice that ever came to me mm. i was a salesman at uh at future shop um big big for people who may not know future shop you know uh, what do you call it big like, big box electronic store yeah it's like the best buy of, of those days best buy of those days right so uh, I worked in the video department and, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was able to build rapport with clients. Right. Uh, I was very honest. 
people like that. I was so honest that I couldn't sell the service plan because I knew that that was not, I was like, this is not, this is a scam for sure. So this one gentleman says to me once he goes, uh, let me ask you something. What, do you, what are your plans? Do you want to work here the rest of your life? I said, uh, no. Mm-hmm. He goes, okay. He goes, here's a card. Here's my card. Uh, you worked in insurance. I knew nothing about insurance. Mm-hmm. He goes, here's my card. If you ever want to do something else, you know, working a career, you, you come in, uh, you come and see me. Okay. Great. So I, I have the card with me for a couple of weeks. I go, what's the harm? What's the harm? Let me go see this guy. Let me see what else is out there. Right. And so he, you know, I sit down with him. I go, hey, thank you for giving me your card. I think I'm in the driver's seat, right? Cause he wanted me, he wanted me to come see him. Right. So he goes, so what do you, uh, what do you want to do? What are your goals? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I might, uh, I might, you know, journalism is something I think about. I might do this. I might do this. I gave him like three or four answers about the variety of things mm-hmm. that I felt that I might do. Right. Scuba diver. All the, all Scuba the diver. Ones. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. All over the place. And he goes, okay, interesting. And we chatted for a bit and then he said, okay, you know what? I don't think that this, this job is for you. I don't think that this is a fit, but let me tell you something just for your own uh, life. Mm-hmm. So now I failed the interview. I'm like, huh, where did this go wrong? This guy wanted me to come yeah, in. You've actually lost the job. You had the, lost job. the you got, job. You've just been fired. Now I'm getting some advice unsolicited. I'm like, all right. But it turned out to be incredible advice. He said, if you have a goal in your mind, you have long-term goals that you want to reach, every speed bump on the way to those goals will be just that, just a little speed bump. Just you just drive over it. You'll know how to handle it. Mm. But if you don't have a goal in the distance, every bump will seem like a mountain to climb over. Interesting. So my suggestion to you is have a goal, have a long term goal. It'll make your life that much easier. And I was like, ah, I don't know what to do with that information. But you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. these things sit with you. And then when it t- came time for comedy and it came time for these other goals, I mean, I just I embraced that wholeheartedly. And it's been like, you know, there's, there's always these rough patches, but they, they don't really feel like rough patches. It doesn't feel even, even these open mics. This is like, Hey man, I got bigger goals and dreams. If all you're doing is an open mic, if you have, uh, you know, say some other job and you do open mics for fun then sometimes they're not that fun. Yeah. Right. You're like, ah, oh, God, this sucks. It's kind of sucks. Stinks down here. People weren't listening, but I, I come out open mic. I'm like, this is my gym. This is going to make me stronger in the theater shows I want to do. This is going to make me a stronger. This is this is I'm developing a point of view on various jokes that I'm working out. I got I got things I got to accomplish. Right, right. And uh, it's a, it's a, and it's a great way of that. it's a great way of reframing it, isn't it? I mean, um, that's I think one of the big things that people get so caught up on. I, they'll say, you know, I've got this big goal, things I want to do, and what they'll try to do is they'll try to envision every single step that has to happen between where they are now and then reaching that goal. Mm-hmm. And when they think about it, it that, those thoughts all together uh, are so overwhelming that the idea of doing it just feels like, oh my God, that's just too much work. I can't do that. Whereas if you just focus on, in your case, the gig that you've got tonight, you go, you do the open mic, and let's go in there and let's go have a workout and let's just see this as an opportunity to work new material and to you know to to get my timing in, in place and then from there you do of course that the next night and the next night and then you wake up one day and 5 years has gone by and now you're hitting stages where you've got a thousand people in the crowd 
And, mm-hmm. and it feels like it was just yesterday, but it was just a hundred of, you know, as they always say, baby steps to get there. But now I'm curious though, like with, with the positive attitude you have and, 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 the, and the reframe of just seeing these as little bumps along the way, were there ever times along the way where you, you did have like that feeling of giving up or those moments of going, you know what, like this is not a speed bump. This is a mountain. Well, I don't I, I wouldn't say mountain, but you know there are shows where you're like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. Why am I, I mean, there's there's definitely those shows that kind of break your soul a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, you have friends, you have family, you have you have like a, a support network, you you kind of bounce back pretty quickly. But there's definitely been shows, man. Stuart, it's like you're trying to work on some stuff, right? You've got like these little mini goals, you got little jokes you want to work on. You're like, I'm gonna work on this tonight. And you get on stage. And right in front of you is a bachelorette party of seven people. Right. And there's a, a girl wearing a, a headband with a dildo attached to it. <laughs> and you're like, man, I don't really want to talk to you guys. I had some stuff I want to work on, but they are not. They have other plans. They're like, you talk to us. And it is Melinda's bachelorette party. <laughs> and you better talk to her. And you better make her feel as special as she is. And then you're like, ah. God, I hate this shit. But then you realize this is it's one little blip. It's one tiny blip. You right. know? And, yeah. and again, and again, it makes you stronger. You know how to handle those things and and you can mess around with these people a little bit and see like what what, what you can push, what you can't push. And yeah. you know. And that's where those little gems come out too, as we both know, right? It's those moments where you think, Oh God, I'm gonna do a bunch of Melinda dildo jokes and and next thing you know you come up with something that makes you go, oh, wow, I, I'm actually going to keep that for the future. Right. Of course. Of yeah. course. It's, and it, that, that's what always, you know, that is a gift that comedians do have that uh, we can take our pains and, and massage them into comedy. You know, we can <laughs> we can convert a lot of the stuff that people have to live with. Mm-hmm. Even like, you know, my friend Dave and I, uh, Dave Merhej and I are, are touring the show. We, we, we toured it in, Jan- in January called We Ain't Terrorists. We toured it uh, <laughs> 10 years ago. It started. It was his idea. We brought it back to life. And uh, and there's a lot of like, you know, racist stories that, you know, I, I always feel bad when I think about people have to just sort of live with that racism, you know, right. somebody just has to live with that. Whereas I can I can turn that I can put it on stage and be like, this guy said this. What was he thinking? Like, what a lazy racist. And I can make fun of the racism. Mm. And I have that outlet. And it's it's become so important. Has racism ever been a stumbling block in the sense for you, like in, that maybe you weren't hired because of the color of your skin, or I don't know, uh, you 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 had such bad heckling that it really got in the way? Like, has it ever been an issue for you? It's, it's very interesting that I actually saw that happen in front of my own eyes once. I tell this story on on stage in my in my solo show because normally, if you are overlooked because of racism, you don't know about it. You're just overlooked as far as, you know, acting jobs or, or, or whatever it is, hosting work. You wouldn't really know about it. Right. But I, uh, I have a, a story where somebody called me once, a producer who knew me from years ago. My, my goal, you know, I can, I can talk more about that later. But my goal when I first, first started comedy is like I wanted to host a cooking show. Right. I was a chef and I was like, let me start doing open mics and, and let me start build my confidence and, uh, you know, maybe make some food jokes, treat the audience like they're a live studio audience. Mm. Anyway, and then, I, you know, I fell in love with comedy immediately and it became this separate uh, thing. Um, but 
so this guy knew me from the early days when I was, my goals were really to host a, a television show. And I hadn't heard from him in a couple of years. And he reaches out and he says, I, I got to talk to you. We, we connect. And he says, Ali, are you still interested in, uh, in hosting a television show? I said, yeah, I am. He goes, great, man. We have something we're working on. And I thought of you. I think you'll be great for this. It's like, okay, great. What, what's the, what's the, what's the story? It's a show. It's called fly me to the food. Okay, so basically right. right now, this is go this is going back about three years, four years. He says, right now in airports all around the world, you can eat very well. Mm. The Wolfgang Pucks of the world, the you know, Mario Batali's, they're opening up places. It's it's not just like horrible airplane food, right. I mean air airport food and then horrible airline food. In the airports, you can eat well. You have these these high-end chefs opening. So we're looking for somebody who who can interview these chefs and and and, talk, and 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 diners and you know interview people in the in the airport. I was like, that's great. And so yeah. I, I said to him, I go, so Mark, you you've thought about this, right? Like you you're you're good with this idea of an Ali Hassan going from airport <laughs> to airport through customs to another airport to another airport. And I, I was saying it jokingly to him and he goes, uh, yeah, man, sure. Uh, listen, can I call you back? <laughs> and I swear to you, I never heard from that guy again. No way. And it's like, it's this hilarious story to me because it's a beautiful story in the sense that this guy didn't have a racist bone in his body. Right. He didn't even consider that a guy with my name and, and my name has been flagged. My name is an issue. There is a travel uh, advisor. There have been Ali Hassan's doing bad things, and that does affect me. Okay. Uh, he didn't even consider that. What a sweetheart. But as soon as I put it to him, he was like, oh, shit, I didn't discuss this with the team. Right. That could be an issue. Yeah. And then, you know, so it's like it's like he wasn't the issue. Yeah. But sort of, you know. Well, it's funny because for, for those who are listening right now who don't necessarily know maybe the background of, of TV and film, that obviously it's a business and, and money is a factor and uh, time is money. And if someone is going to not be able to be on set when uh, everyone else yeah, is going to be on set. secondary screening and yeah, exactly. It's exactly. an issue. It's, it's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, not to suggest that that makes it right. Um, I think that uh, – No, no, no. This is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is how – uh, you know, a um, the, the the racial profiling that a guy with my name has to go through stopped me from getting a job right before my own eyes. Like Jeez. it's so hilarious that I watched it unravel. <laughs> and and some people are like, you shouldn't have said anything. I'm like, no, they would have figured it out. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. somebody on the team's gonna go, hey, wait a minute, I'd right. rather say it myself. Yeah. You know? What about? Well, out of curiosity, so um, just tangent. Like how how often does that happen for you? Like you're jumping on a plane and they, oh, uh, can you just come over here for a second? It happened uh, a year ago, exactly a year ago last when I was going to L.A. Okay. And uh, they're like, what are you going to L.A. for? I said, I'm going for an audition. Great. We just need you to come over here. And I'll tell you one thing uh, that I always feel bears mentioning. They're so nice to me in mm. the room. They're really they're, – they're, they're great people. When I was in the room in, in Boston once – uh, these guys were giving me jokes. They were like, so you're a comedian. I go, yeah. Okay. How about this? You got to go see this restaurant. You got to go to this restaurant right. and blah, blah, blah. And then they're making fun of their colleague for telling me a joke. Like the guy's a comedian. You don't need to tell him a joke. He knows the joke. Nah, nah, that's a good one. <laughs> right. it, was, it, it was like such a fun experience and I don't hold any of them at fault for any of this. You know, like mm. I was used to Back in the day, like there's some really like mean, rough around the edges border guards, you know, like yeah, uh, it just once you know, even in Vermont, the, the nicest 
pro- the nicest state you could ever hope to go through. I used to go from Quebec down to Vermont. I used to go skiing. Mm-hmm. We we get to this tiny border, and uh, nobody's there. Okay. Nobody's there. So we okay, and we've never been skiing at this particular hill, so we've never taken that border. So my friend and I get out of the car, mm-hmm. and this woman comes racing out. She's like, "Get back in the car! Get back in the car!" We're like, "Oh, oh, 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 okay, okay, okay." Yeah. She's like, "Did anybody ask you to get out of the car?" I go, "No, I." Well, nobody asked me. Nobody was here. She goes, you do not get out of your car at an international border, blah, blah, blah. What is your name? I said, Ali. She goes, I need a full name. You know, it was like a disaster. The whole thing was. (laughs) This is going to go down. And this had nothing to do with 9-11. You know, this is pre. So you meet these rough border guards sometimes. It has nothing to do with your race or anything. It's like just a power trip. Yeah. But the border guards have been just a delight overall. So you get flagged, but, but it's not but that I get big flagged, of a you know. Yeah, I mean, it, if I fly a certain airline for which I have a, a you know, the loyalty card, mm-hmm. then it's different because when you when you go to the, the get that loyalty card, they, you have to enter all your information. So they're like, ah, we know this guy. This is that Ali Hassan, not that Ali Hassan. It's okay. We know him. Right. He's but a, when he's a much funnier one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a guy. Exactly. This is what I always <laughs> said. I'm like, you, you guys are still putting me in secondary screen, like. Right. Is there another Ali Hassan who was raised in Quebec, uh, you know, French speaking, born in New Brunswick, Pakistani stand up comedian? Is there another one? Because I'd like to meet that guy. That's, right. pretty, that's pretty fucking remarkable. It'd be nice you know? to meet your twin at one point. Yeah, in your life. Exactly. yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, I, uh, I, I, my, my, one of my best friends, his name's Mirza, right? So, Muslim guy. And um, we were going across the border together one time driving. And, and uh, I said, listen, dude, you know what? Like, just let me drive. I said, these guys can be total dicks sometimes. I said, we, we, we're in a hurry. I said, let's just not play the game. And he goes, oh, are you kidding me? This is stupid. And uh, so he goes, I'm driving. So we get to the border, and the guy says to him, um, uh, place of residence. And he goes, uh, Canada. Uh, I mean, Ontario. Uh, sorry, uh, Toronto. He goes, <laughs> he goes pull over. <laughs> it was, that's how fast it happened. Pull over. That's great. <laughs> I'm like, uh, My dad was smooth. nervous too. My dad was super nervous. I get I get super calm at the border. I'm just like, man, I literally have nothing to hide. Yeah. I've stopped joking I'm around so... with border guys though. I used to joke around and I and, and it and it used to I get flagged. I'd be pulled over and I'd be uh, I have actually, believe it or not, as as white as they get, man, uh <laughs> been denied entry into the United States. Denied. Yeah, like have, have you have, they've said I was turned around like sorry we don't care it was because i didn't have the right work papers but um you know it's it's uh it it was it's 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 harder to um you know smuggle things over the border compared to the way it used to be in the old days (laughs) yeah yeah i i remember a story uh you know just to just to make you as a white man not feel alone we had a a polish aunt Mm. uh get uh she she basically she went to the U.S. to get like work on her transmission done, something like that. It was yeah. way cheaper, saving like three four hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. So when she came back to cross back into to, to go to Montreal, anything to declare? She's like, no. But she had a cockiness about her that the border guard didn't like. Okay. So they pulled her over, they searched the whole car, and they wound up charging her duty on a pack of gum. <laughs> no, because they're like we're gonna we're gonna ding you for something. We know you've done something. Yeah, well, you, you can't. You just can't. You, there's no record of the transmission thing, you know. But they were like, you got some. So uh, sometimes it's the border guard. Sometimes it's the person. Maybe you were too smug. 
Stuart, it's that, worth looking into that. It, it could be it. Like, the fact that I would refuse to take my sunglasses off might have something yeah, to do with it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> now listen, though, so see, these, are, these are kind of some of the minor sacrifices that go along the way of being an entertainer and, and a performer. What are some of the bigger sacrifices that you've had to make in order to kind of get where you are today? Well, yeah, I, you know, I work with a guy named Maz Jobrani. Uh, I think he says it best. You know, I, 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 I'll tour with Maz sometimes and often he's a Persian guy. A lot, a lot of his fans are Persian. They'll come backstage afterwards. Maz, I also want to be a comedian, you know, and he's like, okay, man, because he just, I have my condo and my BMW and, you know, I don't want to, you know, lose that. And like, I, I always find Maz said it best. Like he would always be like, man, these guys, your condo, your car, like, man, don't be a comedian. This is not the world for you. You right. know, this, 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 there's so much sacrifice to be made. Mm-hmm. And he tell he talks about how, you know, when he first started, there was guys way funnier than him starting at the same time. He says this, right. But they couldn't hack the fact that they're at the laugh shop or the, or the comedy store in LA getting on at like five minutes to one in the morning. Right. Guys, with this bullshit, man. Look at the way they treat us. Blah, blah blah. He'd be like, "Hey, man, there's three people out there. I got some shit I want to work out. I'm gonna go and do this." And those guys are like, "I'm not doing this bullshit anymore." Right? right. So there's there's that sacrifice of your own uh, integrity at some level. Your mm-hmm. dignity gets sacrificed. Some people are willing to give that up pretty quickly. That's not an issue. But I, I mentioned these guys who say I want to do stand up comedy, but my car, my house. Man, I had to live in my my mother's, but God bless my parents for being so supportive through a time where they were like, what are we supporting here? This is bananas. Right. You know? Like my father was a, a teacher, tenure, pension. These are things that I have that have no connection to my life. You right. know? I don't have pension, no net. And I was doing two things. I was a chef and a comedian, both of which have no job security. He's like, oh man, you couldn't even focus on one. You have to do two things that are horrible, <laughs> right. uh, horrible ideas. Right. But they, they supported me and uh, you know, you, you kind of need that a little bit too. So some people, they, they got to have a, 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 a bunch of money saved up. Some other people got to have a second job. Uh, and, and, and some people like myself, I, I just didn't want to do it. I was like, now I know what I want to do. And I don't want to do anything else. I just want to do the comedy and the cooking. And I wanted to blend the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some months I only had three uh, catering gigs, small gigs. Right. And then I had like seven or eight open mics. And my mother was like, how are you cobbling together a living? What is this? You know, and I, I went into debt pretty seriously on credit cards. And I, you know, I, I sacrificed my body and my health a little bit and my income. If I had been making a steady income in those days, uh, yeah, I'd probably in a, be in a better place now. But as I said in the beginning, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I had to do this. This is what I wanted to do. And there was no other – that's why I don't take those compliments. This is what – this is all I could do. To, to it's not it's, like I left a great job as an incredible financial manager with a with a portfolio of ten million and a whole roster of clients and like wow that was brave. There's nothing brave. I just did what I wanted to do with every fiber of my being. Right, and and, and it's and I agree with you there in the sense that um, when people say that what I've done is brave, I feel the same way. It doesn't feel brave. It felt like there was just no other choice. However, the the reality is is that uh, the majority of people who would be listening to this right now. They they do think that it is um, very brave, and and mainly because of what could have happened. 
You know, you hmm. could have not made it. You could have found yourself in that situation where one day you woke up and you're 35 years old and you're still doing that, you know, club where the guys are taking a piss behind the stage and you just haven't got any breaks as of yet. You still haven't got a TV thing. So um, that was always a possibility. I, and, 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 I, and you and I were speaking before we went into the show today about that, that concern that yeah. you know is that something that could still happen someday and and we both agreed that yeah it's always in the back of your mind way 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 back there you can't give it too much attention but you do realize that uh you know you're only one step away from from um maybe not having what you currently have today yeah yeah i, I mean you it, it, a lot of it could unravel you know <laughs> unbeknownst to you something you didn't plan on it could happen but as you say you push that to the back i my whole thing was that I had done that corporate world. I had done other things. I was an IT consultant. Okay. And uh, and I was a very horrible IT consultant. And I, you know, people do jobs for the money. They're like, well, I don't, I'm not passionate about whatever, accounting or payroll or whatever it is, but I'll do it. You know, the money and I'm okay. I was bad at the job mm-hmm. and I hated the job. Right. Uh, a double threat, you know? Uh, and and I, I just... I, I, without exaggeration, I wanted to put a gun in my mouth most days of the yeah. week by the end of the week. I, I would get there as late as I possibly could without getting in trouble. And I would work till noon. And then, uh, you know, I would eat. I was the slowest eater. Everybody, we, we'd go to whatever P.F. Chang's or something. We were in, in, in a, you know, outside of Chicago. We'd go to these restaurants and people would be like, hurry up, hurry up. And I'd be like, hurry up. Do you know we're going back to? What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. What are you doing that's making you so excited? What what are you going back to? I had to shovel food in my face so that we could all head back to work. And then, you know, from one to five, just watching the clock. And I was just, every day, every single day, I was like, this cannot be my life. I don't know what my life's going to be, but this cannot be my life. I can't do it. What about this, though? Okay, so you come from, are both your parents Pakistani? They are. Okay, so we all know that within your culture, there are certain expectations of what you should do with your life. And I, for most Pakistani people I've met throughout my life, comedy is not usually the one their parents are pushing them toward. Absolutely. What was that like? Did you did, you say that they were supportive, which is amazing. But even though they were supportive, did you ever secretly feel like on some level you were letting them down? Uh, constantly, Stuart. And when I say they were supportive... I don't mean they were, hey, Ali, you do whatever makes you happy. Never, mm-hmm. never. It was a weekly battle of like, you got to figure out your life. Right. And my dad would try to do things. My dad would be like, look, 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 look. You want to be in food? I go, yes. He goes, look, this guy, I know this guy, Harvey, he has uh, A&Ws. Why don't I see, maybe we can buy an A&W franchise. And I'd be like, dad, that is, that is not what we're talking about here. That is not, you know, I, you know, I want to be inspired. I want to make my own dishes. I want people to eat the food I make. He goes, well, maybe eventually you can do that. But for now we can do this, which is hilarious because this is a very, it's like a, it's like a trope, you know, for Pakistanis and Indians, the, the kid goes, uh, you know, less so now, but, but, but it still continues for sure. Where the kid goes, I want to be a journalist, mom. And they were like, and, and, and the, the funny, the line that so many parents have uttered is, First, you become a doctor, and then you can become a journalist, right? But at least you have medicine. No one can take that away from you. It's always first do this, then you can do that. Right. Partly hoping that they'll forget about this stupid journalist goal once the medicine gets – 
So it was it was the food version of that. First, get the A and W franchise. We'll have that, and then you can start your own restaurant. I was like, oh my god! So my dad, you know, poor guy, was trying from every angle to like help figure me out, help me quote unquote figure myself out. Um, but man, you know, in those days, it like it, it doesn't. You know, you know, it's funny when people uh, talk about success. Success. It's it's so different for everybody it's right. it's like hard to talk about what is success and this and that and i i wanted a restaurant small i wanted maybe a staff of two or three people mm-hmm. i wanted it to be a menu of four items mm-hmm. and every day i go shopping in the morning go to a you know jean talon market in, in outside in montreal and I buy the ingredients that day, whatever I'm inspired to make, and I make four dishes. That to me was going to be success. If I had a restaurant where I could make a living and do that, that to me was going to be success. And I had friends who were like, no, man, you got to get to a point where you can franchise. Once you have franchised uh, locations, that's when you start making the real money. And I was, you know, I was always just like, hey, man, more money, more problems. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. know if I need that. I, I'm very satisfied with doing a, a work that's fulfilling to me. For me, that's that's success because I had those years of like being so unfulfilled. Yes, so unfulfilled. Yeah, it was like that story from the uh, I'll butcher it a bit, but where the uh, the successful um, American uh, hedge manager, hedge fund manager, is taking some time. Oh off, yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. He's yeah off, sure. Right. He's off in Mexico and he starts talking to the guy who's uh, down by the dock in his boat and he's filled with fish and he says, uh, "Why are you not back out there still fishing?" He says, "Well, I've got enough fish." right now for myself and for my family and I can um, maybe sell a little bit to some of my friends and and he says oh well what will you what will you do with the rest of your day and he says well soon I'll go back and I'll have a siesta and then I'll wake up make love to my wife and then go down and see some of my friends have a beer and play some music and he starts telling me, well you know what you could do you could you could go out and you could stay longer out in the on the water and you could catch more fish and then you could sell those fish to the market and you'll make some money save some money and then you can buy a bigger boat and then you get that boat, you go out there and you get a lot of fish, you start selling it to like even bigger markets. And then eventually you'll have many, many boats and you can have your own cannery and you can start exporting fish all around the world. He says, you'll have millions and millions of dollars. You can, you can retire a very, very rich man and I could show you how. And he says, oh, okay. And he goes, imagine what you would do then with all your time. He says, yes, I'd probably go home and have a siesta and make love to my wife and then go and have a beer and play music with my friends. Exactly. Uh, at my very core, Stuart, I'm a Mexican fisherman. Yes. Yeah, I, I am I, that man. I, I literally, I know that story from the Mexican perspective, from the Jamaican perspective. Every time I hear that story, I'm like, this is it. This is, I've never connected with a story more than that. You know, I, I want to be able to provide for myself. Um, I want a little bit extra. You could take those annual vacations, you know, but it's like, I don't know, I grew, growing up where I grew up, Joie de vivre, you know, a joy mm-hmm. of life. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was 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 more important than saving up so you can like eventually buy a boat or whatever it is. You know, I just um, so did your so did your dad ever like so I you, I heard you say your father's passed. Yes. Okay. And so, um, but before he passed, was there ever a moment where he you know you just knew 
whether it was a way he looked at you or something he said that he, he had accepted and actually was quite proud of the, the life you'd created for yourself? Sure. I, I, we, I was very lucky to have those moments. Thank God I did. Otherwise, you know, you kind of beat yourself up over things that you have no business really beating you. You have no control of them. But, I, you know, my, I was on the front page of the uh, arts and, and, and uh, arts and entertainment section of the Gazette which, you know, my dad read the Gazette daily. He read two newspapers daily, and I was in the Gazette wow. on that front page of a section um, for the shows that I was doing and, you know, making, you know, small waves in the Montreal Anglophone community. That was a big deal for him. Nice. And before he passed away, I was on CBC television as well. I was on that Strombo, uh, you know, George Strombolopoulos had a show called The Hour. It went down to half an hour, and at the end they had a comedy panel and so I was on that comedy panel. He got to see that. And I think when he did pass, he was probably, our, you know, he, he saw me marry a woman with two girls. So I had two two kids and he, he met my son. Uh, I think he passed away. My, my son was a couple of months old. He got to hold my son in his arms. So I think for my dad, it was like, all right, this kid, he's going to make it in the end. You know, God knows how much stress I, I gave him in the, uh, you know, 10 years leading up to that. But I think he uh, he went to his final resting place with some level of comfort about what his son was going to do. That's beautiful. And what would you say is uh, one of the biggest lessons that you ever learned from your father? My father had a, a, a he was a he was a work hard, play hard kind of guy. Okay. Um, you know, like my wife is a little bit more of like, uh, well, we could just stay home and watch a movie. And I'm like, but why? Why would we want? You know, I, yeah. I just on the weekend on Saturday this classic version of my wife, you know, I'm like, uh, okay, so I'm going to host this comedy show. Do you want to come to the comedy show? She goes, great. I go, cool. Show starts at nine. So why don't we go for dinner first? She's like, okay. Or we could just eat at home. (laughs) What? What? Why would we want (laughs) to? The whole point is that we can go out. And then I was like, you know, okay, if you don't want to go before, we can go after, you know, Bar Isabel is this great restaurant here in Toronto. We can go for like late night eats. She's like, okay. Or if you have energy, we can come back home, watch a movie. I'm like, Jesus Christ. You know, like, <laughs> it's funny that we're we're a pair. But like for my dad, um, you know, he worked as a professor. Then he taught English uh, as a second language classes. Then he also worked as a translator. So the lesson from observing my dad is that you can have many jobs. You can have multiple sources of income. Right. So that wasn't weird to me as a guy who now has three to four or five jobs at once. There's nothing odd about that. And the other thing is that, you know, when the Jazz Fest was in town in Montreal where I grew up, he's out, you know, whether my mother joins him or not, whether friends join him, he's going. The Jazz Fest is in town, you know. Then we used to have this film festival. Montreal Film Festival was a big deal at one point. He's out there for the film festival. Then there's some other talk happening. I'm going to go see this talk. He was incredibly mobile uh and 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 there was never a reason not to go out right and that that of course you know <laughs> that, that created tension with my mother obviously as well you know you, you you're so you're out you're spending money you're drinking you're gambling what are you doing yeah, you know but yeah, yeah. but I, it was also a guy who truly enjoyed life that's a that to me that's a, a great lesson to learn i actually uh have had the same lesson from my own father it's funny that our parents sound like they're very similar my mother is the same way it's like why would we why would we go to a restaurant where we can make the exact same meal here? And I'm like, for starters, it ain't the same meal, mom. And right. uh, secondly, it's like you never know what you're going to see and, and, and be able to experience. I've, I've always often found it fascinating how many Torontonians, uh, and I'm using Toronto because that's where you know, we live, but um, and people who live in any area, they haven't taken in their area where I'll be in the middle of uh, – 
Alberta and I'll say to somebody, so how often do you go into the mountains? Oh God, I haven't done that for maybe five, six years. I'm like, they're right there. Like (laughs) anybody can do it. You know what we would give to have those mountains in our back door. And the same way where you speak to a Torontonian, you'll say, uh, when was, how often do you go to see comedy? And, and they've never, in 15 years of living in the city, gone to a comedy show. Yeah. Or yeah, a- no, it's amazing to see how many people are first-time comedy. Uh, and you're like, I don't want to guess your age here and embarrass you, but uh, you've been around this you've been around this earth uh, enough years that this is very, very surprising. I see that a lot. Right. You know, I learned this lesson. I lived in Chicago for a year and a half when I was that shitty IT consultant. I was in uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, I had one friend. I had one friend and I had my cousin as well. But, you know, everybody's working. Everybody's got stuff to do. Right. So I would pick up a copy of the Chicago Reader, which is like the, the local, you know, like Now Magazine in Toronto. There's the Chicago Reader. It's the it's sort of the weekly rag, you know? Yeah. Um, and I would look at stuff and I would just circle stuff. I'd be like, oh, man, OK, the Bob Marley tribute happening here. <laughs> uh, there's a night of blues and, and, and you know, a, a blues open mic happening here. Mm-hmm. And then I would tell my buddy, I'd be like, hey, man, let's go to this place. He'd go, okay, where is it? I go, it's called Rosa's. It's like Ashland. And then he goes, Ashland? Yeah. Dude, that's like that's like 5,000 block. I go, I don't, dude, I don't know what that means. <laughs> right. I just want to go see. You know, like cause when you come to a city with no pre- preconceived notions, you're just open to whatever. Right. But he was like, man, that's far. That's like Northwest. I go, I don't. I couldn't point out Northwest right now. I just know that there's a blues open mic that I'd love to go see. And man, I embraced that city also because I hated my daily life. I think that nighttime had to make up for how bad my days were. Right. But it was a lesson that lasts. Like I I still bring the now magazine every day. And my wife's like, you're a hoarder. Why do you always pick up this magazine? (laughs) Right. I go, well, let me read a bit and put it in recycling. And then, you know, I, I just, I enjoy that. I enjoy yeah. being connected to a city. And I think just going back to your question about what my dad gave me, it's it's that. It's like be connected to the place you live in. My dad could give a tour of Montreal to anybody. Mm-hmm. We'll go here. We'll go here. You should definitely see this. He was so proud of the place he lived in. He's involved in the politics. He could talk to you about like what whoever, René Lévesque or Jacques Parizeau was doing right or wrong. And, right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not there. You know, I'm not as municipally connected because I'm a more recent um, – Immigrant to Toronto, migrant to Toronto. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I like it. I like people who are engaged in their community. I'm always impressed by it. That that, that impresses me far more than somebody who lives as a hermit. Yeah, I agree. You just you got to get out. You, the life, as cliche as it sounds, it just doesn't come to you. You got to go to it. Uh, I find when I speak to people who are single and they're complaining about how they're single and they wish they weren't single. And I'll say to them, "Well, I mean, why don't you go on a? Why don't you make? Why don't you make a rule for yourself? This month you go, you'll go on four dates, once a month." And they'll come back and say, "Oh, it's January. It's freezing out there. I don't. Yeah. Want, I'm going to wait till the spring." And you're like, "You know what? You're going to wait for a long time for a lot of things." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I tell my daughter who's 13, you know. Uh, you know, 13, they can be pretty lackadaisical sometimes about stuff. So I'm like, "Look, man, life is an open air rock concert." Right? That's what life is. <laughs> you could sit at the way back with your friends and make fun of all these other people who are like having a great time, barely see the band, or you can be right up. You can make the choice to get right as close to the band as possible and have the best concert of your life. And it's all about where you sit and how involved you are, right? It's all, this is, this is life. This is the whole thing. Get, get, get close to the stage, get involved, be part of life. 
I love that. And, you know, one, I've been trying to almost reteach myself that a little bit recently as, and based on observing my daughter who's three and a half years old. And when something happens, like let's say I take her to daycare and, and, and I just happen to be sticking around for a little bit and, and, and the teacher comes in and she'll say, uh, who wants, she'll have like, I don't know, holding a bunch of colored paper above her head. Who wants to draw some pictures? And those kids will be like, elbowing each other to get out of the right. way, to, to get to that teacher I want, I want, I want. and jumping up and down like I was in the um I took my daughter on the subway for the first time a couple of weeks ago and as the train was coming in it was interesting because I was kneeling down making sure because my daughter is known to get so excited she'll throw herself in front of the train so I'm, I'm kneeling down kind of holding on to her and she's watching the train coming in and I've deliberately positioned us at the very end so that she can sit at the front and she can look out the window and and see us going down the track but that gave me a vantage point where I'm not just looking at her but I'm also looking past her at all the other people standing on the platform waiting for the train to come through and they're just looking at the train but my daughter is jumping up and down and squealing she, she just can't believe she's going to have the opportunity to get on this thing that's underground that will take her to wherever she wants to go. And she recognizes in that moment, this is mind-blowing. Whereas we as adults, we're like, well, there's the train again. And if anything, we're pissed off because it's late. Yeah, and exactly. it's like life is right there. Jump up and get excited about it. And like you said, I love what you said. Life is an open-air concert. You know, get to the front and, and your experience at the front, you know, with a band playing the, the music and you jumping up and down with you know, 10,000 people is way different than sitting at the back. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've seen this, thinking of your daughter, I've, I've seen this when I've taken improv classes, you know. Mm. There's people who just sit at the back. And they don't get involved. They just watch. And then, it, you know, you if you ask them, how was the improv class? That nah, was all right. And then there's people who are like, all right, who's next? Let's get five people on stage. And they're one of the first five to jump on stage, first five to jump on stage. And it's like, it's a thrill. Like you're in the moment, like, oh, my God, somebody's going to hand me a scene. I got to do something with the scene. Mm-hmm. How was the improv class? Oh, man. It was good. And it's like those two people were at the exact same improv class. They right. had the exact same experience. But what they took from it, and then you know, it's, it's that, that's that's life. That's life. The more we remind ourselves of that, the better, I think. So let let so let's close it off there. Then you know, I, I want to hear. I mean, I, I know you've been giving us without even uh, directly meaning to, but uh, the listeners a lot of uh, advice and things to think about. You know, taking sacrifice or making sacrifices and following your heart if that's what you need to do and really defining success (laughs) defining sex oh we we haven't gone there yet Stuart. Uh, i'm not sure if i'm an authority on that subject well we 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 missed the food and the sex two other great things in life um but uh what 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 is your final kind of closing piece of advice for anyone listening to this who's kind of just thinking about maybe taking that unbeaten path or maybe the unpopular path or even a path that may make those that love them feel a little disappointed What, what what's what's your advice to them as we close off here well i think I should preface it all by saying I'm an idiot and I don't know, I don't know much, but I just, I do feel like, you know, and, 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 and I'm reminded that I, that, that uh, top 10 event that I did with you, I, I said the same thing that if you commit yourself wholeheartedly to a goal and I, I, I you know, I would never have believed this. I would never believe this. This is, it would sound so hokey, mm-hmm. but when you commit yourself wholeheartedly to something, the universe conspires. It really conspires to help you achieve your goals. You know, this is this is stuff people talk about vision boards and all this. And I, I realize 
that I was vision boarding in my mind for like a decade, fantasizing about where I wanted to be. But it was more than fantasy. It was sitting there at this desk at this IT job, like picturing myself on stage and performing for people and being on behind the camera or in front of the camera, being in front, never behind. I know never a goal, <laughs> but being in front of the camera and being, you know, in, in scenes and, and delivering monologues with passion. And it was so far away. I was sitting in Deerfield, Illinois, in front of a computer screen uh, with just like no hope. I'm like, man, I spent $22,000 on an IT degree, barely got the diploma, needed tutoring to get it. <laughs> now I'm in IT consulting in consulting, and it sucks in every possible way. Mm -hmm. And I, this is just fan. I'll never get to those goals. And then, man, it took some time. You know, it was like 10, 15 years later, but I see myself. It's mind boggling to realize what happened. But you you make your goals. You 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 take action and steps toward those goals. And it's like the possibility of them happening is, is so, so high. You know, I still don't have that cooking show I dreamt about. No, no. So not everything turns out, but you, you know, you have other things you work towards and it's, uh, it's incredible along the way, as you mentioned in the, in the bio, you know, hosting these radio shows and doing all these other things that I'd never anticipated in my life. And um, I don't know, I think it all comes from just, from determination and, and, and a work ethic, and, and you said it yourself, nothing comes to you. Nothing and, comes to you. Well, and I love what you said there about taking action. I, one of my favorite things uh, in relationship to what you're saying that I've ever heard is um, the universe loves speed. And mm -hmm. I've always thought that's really interesting. It's like if you move, the universe moves with you. And if you move faster, when you take more action, the universe then conspires with you and takes more action on your behalf. And you're right, all of a sudden these really odd, unexpected things start landing on your lap. And it really is, if you look back, um, directly related to you just going, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write something, or I'm going to, you know, gonna, I'm going to quit that job, or I'm going to leave this relationship, mm -hmm. or I'm going to jump on a plane, I'm going to go to that country, I don't actually know what will happen, but I just know I need to go to that country. And then the I, universe goes, whoa, look at this person, holy yeah. shit, they're taking some moves, okay, let's go. Absolutely. I'm going to say one last thing on that on that note, Stuart, because uh, it's it baffles my mind regularly on a monthly basis. I'm like, God, man, it happened again. Yeah. So my goals are always like one day a week, spend a full day messaging people, uh, replying back to people, some reaching out to you know comedy clubs, reading, reaching out to promoters, talking to my agent, mm -hmm. and I and I I put myself out. Right? It's a it's a output. Okay. So there's a full day of output. Um, I try to do it weekly. Sometimes I don't do it. Okay. When I don't do it, it doesn't feel like things are really happening. Then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I got to do that. I got to send all these emails. I had to talk to all these people. And, and uh, you know, these people were like, get back to me next year. We're going to have this show. We're going to have this festival. So I, get, I, I spend a day getting back to all these people or reaching out to all these people. And then in the next few days what happens every single time, it's not those people getting back to me, but other things start coming, just landing in my lap. Yeah. Some fundraiser in Calgary, some uh, food festival in the East Coast. These are not even things that, but because I put energy out, things sort of come back and I can't explain it. Uh, I don't even know if I wanna know the intricacies of this, but I'll tell you, you put out 
and you get back. And often it's not even those things that you were asking for and that you were like literally the people you were reaching out to don't get back to you. But just output yields uh, productivity somehow. And it amazes me every single time. But it's it's like a, a steadfast rule in my life somehow. You know, it's funny. As you're talking, I'm, I've got such a smile on my face because I try to explain this to my partner. And I say, I don't understand it. I said, but what I've noticed over the last 20 years of my career is that whenever I find myself going, ooh, boy, we don't have a lot of gigs booked in the, in the upcoming months, we need, to, we need to start hustling. And all of a sudden, that motivates me to start putting more blogs and more videos out and making more phone calls. And all of a sudden, I do that for a couple of months. And it's ridiculous. The number of opportunities to start landing on my lap. And you just hit it on the head. It's not even the people I was reaching out to. It's something else. And, yeah. I, and I truly believe that the universe is just going, oh, okay, we hear you. And, and, and you can't explain it. I don't know how to explain it. It seems very hokey pokey, but it, it, yeah. it just seems to be consistent over 20 years. Whenever I go, okay, it's usually out of fear. Like, we need to get, we need to get book some gigs. And we start hustling and we start putting more content out there and more, more, like as you say, we start putting it out there and more stuff just keeps coming back. So I'm glad that we're, I'm glad that we're ending off there because that's something I hope that all of you are listening to this right now recognize that. You don't have to necessarily always know the full plan. Just just start taking some sort of action, some sort of step towards something, and you keep doing that consistently on a weekly or biweekly basis, and you'll you'll start seeing big things happen. So, um, this has been great. I mean, wow! Like I could this call or this uh, uh, interview could go on for another two hours. Um, I really mean that. I I just genuinely have a thousand questions that I didn't even get a chance to get to, and I I, I guess that just means we'll have to have you back on the show, but. It um, also means I talk too much, possibly. Sorry you, about that. You know that, what? Yeah, I, mean, I got that note you, from you your open, wife. <laughs> you, you opened up something in me, man. I, I'm, I'm alone. There's no children. I mean, I just, uh, you know, someone's listening. <laughs> yeah, you're drinking. It, yeah. It's the morning. Um, well, Ali, listen, you know what? You're, you're a great personality, and you are obviously a very talented and funny guy, and I've had the pleasure of seeing you not just on stage, but I've also uh, listened to you on the radio and I've seen you on TV and, and you always crack me up. And, and, uh, and, and I'm, gl- I'm glad on behalf of uh, your other fans that, that you do what you do. And, and uh, before we, we do let you go, um, can you let our listeners know but anything that's important to you, anything you're excited about or something you're working on that, that people should check you out in, in, the, in the near future? Sure, I'm excited about uh, some of the stuff that you're excited about. I'll be uh, I'll be guest hosting on on Q on on CBC Radio in the month of March. Nice. That should be uh, yeah the, the the 18th to the 22nd. I'll be guest hosting on Q, and then the week after that is something I've looked forward to for the last couple of years. This is the third year that I'm hosting something called Canada Reads. And if you enjoy reading, if you enjoy literature, I, I encourage everybody to take a look at this. Um, this show, if you haven't heard of it, Canada Reads is is uh, is basically a literary battle um, yeah. between five Canadian um, celebrities, uh, cha- each championing a book that they think Canadians should read. And it's actually done so well that um, our friends at uh, at NPR have basically done a, a copy of it. You know, fla- you know oh. what is it? Uh, what is the best form of flattery? Uh, copying is the Imitation. Imitation, Imitation yeah, is yeah. the best form of flattery. So they actually did the Great American uh, Read, which is modeled uh, very, very similarly after this. And it's uh, 
it's wonderful. It's great for literature. People get very, very passionate about it. And just to see people passionate about something that's not, you know, hateful and, 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 and ugly, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I encourage you. The books are, are always great. And um, it's, and I'm happy to host it again one more year. That's amazing. It's such a cool show. I think that uh, my friend uh, Zaya Tong, is she going to be one yes, of Yes, she is. She's one of those celebrities, actually. Yeah, she was just telling me that she's going to be actually coming on the show in the next couple of months. So, um, yeah, if those of you who haven't uh, had a chance to check out Candorees, it is so worthwhile. And I'm, I'm glad to know that you're hosting that again. So, um, so Ali, thank you for being on the show. I, my pleasure, brother. Thank you. You know, you're such a great guest. So uh, we'll have to have you on again soon. It'll be my pleasure anytime. Thank you, Stuart. All right, talk to you soon. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is. Thank you for tuning in to the Stuart Knight Show. We hope you have enjoyed this powerful conversation. People are fascinating, and so are you. And the right questions will prove it. We'll prove it.